and welcome to Doing Disasters Differently, the podcast with Renee Hanvin, which is all about inspiring you to start thinking and doing disasters a little bit differently too. In this episode, I'm talking with Bridget Tian, the Senior Policy Advisor at the Victorian Council of Social Services, also called VCOS, and we're talking about the role of community organisations in disasters. A little bit about Bridget. Bridget has worked for more than 10 years in emergency management in both the government and not-for-profit sectors. Bridget is currently a Senior Policy Advisor at the Victorian Council of Social Services and works to highlight the role of the community sector in building resilience and to explore the role of the sector in emergency management. Bridget also works to highlight the needs of vulnerable and disadvantaged people before, during and after emergencies, as well as their needs in the mitigation, transition and adaptation to climate change. Bridget is also the co-founder and president of the Australasian Women in Emergencies Network. Now, I always like to start with where we met. And I met Bridget through Amanda Lamont when they were setting up the Australasian Women in Emergencies Network, which is going from strength to strength with almost 1,600 members, including me. It was great to connect as Bridget is from the community sector side of the disaster space, and she brings a wealth of information about those most vulnerable in our communities to the forefront of all discussions and initiatives. While at C2C, our focus is primarily on businesses, community organisations are essential to the community wellbeing ecosystem. And community organisations, while not profit-making businesses, they're still businesses too. Bridget, thanks so much for chatting with me today. My absolute pleasure. Now, I'm really excited to talk about this as a topic because we haven't had a lot in the community space in our conversations. But can you explain to me, VCOS, what is it? and the important advocacy and policy changes that you and your awesome team are driving. Absolutely. So VCOS is the Victorian Council of Social Service. So we are the peak body for the community and social service sector in Victoria. And I think one thing that's really fascinating about um, the, the community sector and the social service sector is that it's a bit like saying the private sector. So, you know, that which we know the private sector can be anything from, you know, the IBMs of the world right through to your, your local milk bar and every small business and big business and medium sized business in between. And I think the diversity of the community sector is really similar. So, you know, we range from really big organisations like Australian Red Cross or the Salvation Army that, you know, many of your listeners will be familiar with, right through to very small individual and independent organisations like a local maple house or a really small um, charity or or community organisation. And I'm not going to touch on it too much, which is a bit unusual for me, but, you know, to me, community organisations are businesses. So whether you are a Red Cross or you're a neighbourhood house, you don't want to run necessarily at a profit, but you certainly don't want to run it at a loss. So I, when I talk businesses and I love how you've just gone straight into comparing uh, the community organisations as, you know, the same as the private sector, to me, they're all businesses and we really need to focus on keeping all the businesses, including not-for-profits, resilient. And again, I'm not going to touch on that today, but I think that's a really important part to make. So any uh, people within your networks and connections who want to build more resilience within their organisations, that's absolutely a group that we do help and want to continue helping because I think, again, there's so much value in helping 
community organizations stay in business because if they're not in business, then they're not able to help those most vulnerable in our communities. Now, what I really want to talk to you about today is one of, there are so many initiatives that VCOS is driving and um, I really recommend anyone to sign up to your emails. I know I really welcome them. Um, you know, the inbox is getting pretty full these days, but I really welcome what comes through because I think there's some amazing projects that you're delivering and I'm talking to lots of other people in other states as well. So Bridget, can we focus on the Bushfire Recovery Project in particular? Because we know that communities and individuals are better able to recover from natural and other disasters, including bushfires, if the local community is strong, connected and well supported. So how do we achieve this in communities? And particularly those communities who are really struggling from the compound current disaster environment? Oh, what a fantastic question, Renee. And look, I'll, I'll go into the work of the um, that we're doing under the Bushfire Recovery Project shortly. But I think just to answer your broader question, I think it's really, really important that communities build on their existing strengths. And really what I mean by that is the existing networks, the existing partnerships, using those existing businesses and community organisations that are already doing such fantastic work in communities on a day-to-day -day basis. They're the organisations that know the community, that have the trust of the community, and I think are really best placed to, to both represent communities and support communities as they recover. Um, what those um, organisations need, of course, is that little bit of extra support um, to be able to deliver either additional services or changed services according to what the need might be. I think too in recovery some of the other things that we need to think about are really ensuring that the right services are available at the right time following an emergency or a disaster. So, you know, we know that in, in the short term, you know, financial need can be really strong. And so it's really important that people have access to, to independent financial advice or financial counselling um, um, and, and also legal support and legal um, information and advice. Um, if you think about making insurance claims or having to rebuild, those sorts of um, services are really critical during that shorter term. Over the medium and longer term, we really need to think about what a community needs in terms of its, its well-being. So that might be counselling um, or it might be some mental health support services that are made available to community members. We also know that emergencies and disasters can really exacerbate some of the existing um, problems that might exist within a community or in fact cause new problems. And some of these we know through research are things like drug and alcohol abuse, family violence, and also so PTSD and trauma. So it's really important that we have targeted services available to support those communities so that they don't fall down into those traps and, and find themselves, you know, even in, in more trouble um, than they may already be with having to grapple with the impacts of an emergency. So fundamental, the community organisations, and obviously, you know, we've mentioned and we're talking about the Bushfire Recovery Project, but you can't not mention COVID and storms and, you know, there's just so many, I guess, um, disruptions happening to lives and livelihoods on top of each other, particularly in the last kind of two years. 
And what I think is really key, you mentioned the whole, you know, it's about the grassroots, the, you know, people in those communities know the communities well, they just potentially need help from a a capacity or even building um, capabilities, all those extra services. Um, And it's very much around, I know our commitment um, is certainly not the fly in, fly out, or I have a a different uh, seagull uh, terminology that I won't share here, but it's kind of, we fly over and drop a few nuggets on the community and then fly out again. And I know from our social enterprise purpose, you know, we always hire place-based people. In fact, I'm the only person in Melbourne um, as our team because I want to hire and build skills and knowledge of people in those communities because that's where it needs to start and that's where it needs to end. So I love I love that this project um, and that you've highlighted that because I think it's really, it's really, really vital and obviously a big uh, focus and commitment from our perspective as well. Now, in this bushfire recovery project, um, you mentioned six streams and I think they're really interesting. So could you share them and maybe one or two key findings from each one? Yeah, absolutely. So look, we started off this project by going out and talking with community organisations who'd been affected by 2019 to 20 bushfires um, to really understand, I guess, what the impact on community and social service organisations were to get an understanding of what their role was during the response and relief phase, and then to really get a clear idea from them about what they felt was needed for their communities moving forward. So that resulted in a report which is available on our website. It's called Perspectives from the Frontline. And that really um, articulates, I guess, in the words of community organisations themselves, what happened as a result of this rapidly unfolding crisis, the fact that there were widely scattered resources across multiple events, inaccessible conditions and the prolonged bushfire activity. It really meant that that response was was chaotic and sometimes seemed to be quite uncoordinated. Um, And it also meant that the initial recovery efforts took some time to to sort of settle in. As a result of um, what we learned from that report, we then um, put forward a series of of different projects to help support community organisations through the work that they were going to be doing in the months and years um, ahead. So the The second project um, under the bushfire recovery work has been capacity building for community organisations. And what we've really tried to do there is try to provide current advice, information, research, resources, and importantly, lived experience. And what I mean by that, of course, is giving community organisations the opportunity to hear from peers and other organisations that had gone through similar events. We know that when you hear something from somebody that's already been through um, a similar event, that that's often the best way to learn. So we have been providing a series of um, disaster recovery bulletins, which are all available online, and also complementary disaster recovery conversations where we're talking with experts, with people with lived experience, with researchers and so forth around particular topics. So, for example, one month we looked at the needs of older people in relation to disaster recovery. Um, Another month we looked at the needs of people from multicultural communities with regard to disaster recovery. So lots and lots of information and advice for community organisations. And, of course, I must say that um, lots of other people, of course, have been signing up to those bulletins and attending those 
uh, disaster recovery conversations, including, you know, government researchers, um, individuals, um, and a whole range of different people. So they've certainly got a broad, um, broad reach. That's. I think the the work that's being done, and again, it's it's obviously focused on a particular sector, but it's it's got such a multi-stakeholder relevance to it, which is what I really love that comes out of um, the work that you guys do as well, because, you know, and I know it's policy and I know it's advocacy, but it has real connections and I guess like real meaning that anyone who's, you know, I'm certainly not a specialist in the government or policy space, but I get it. I connect with it. I understand it. And I think that the outcomes that can come from it are so positive. And it's really, I guess, that stepping stone from experience and lessons learned to here's what's needed next. Here's the evidence as to why it's needed. And so let's move and progress and, and, you know, make that change to make the community sector better. That's absolutely right, Renee. And one of the things that I love about working in emergency management and disaster resilience is the fact that we are all in this together. When an emergency or disaster hits, everybody pulls together and focuses on what needs to be done. And I love that level of collaboration and cooperation of sharing and networking. Um, and so while, as you say, the information we've provided has been more or less targeted at community organisations, it's absolutely relevant to anybody that has an interest in or experience in um, disasters or emergencies. Yeah, and I have to say, I mean, just from my own experience, I think that's quite um, quite unique because there's a lot of data out there about, you know, emergencies and resilience that are certainly written for a, you know, the specialist industry. And I think it's quite rare but very welcome to find information that he's written, I guess, for the layman, perhaps like me. And I mean, obviously I'm a, you know, an expert in the space, but I'm certainly not in the community space, but I, yeah, I find it really, um, really interesting and really valuable. Now we've mentioned that your focus at VCOS is on inclusive stakeholders and stakeholders is an absolute passion of mine, particularly those most vulnerable. So what are the main findings that have surprised you? And I guess the gaps that we need to quickly fill to support communities in their resilience journeys? So I think you've, and you touched on it with your previous comment just then, Renee, is that there's not a lot of information actually available for the lay person or a community member when it comes to disaster resilience um, and disaster recovery in particular. Um, you know, when a disaster hits, there's suddenly lots and lots of different organisations that turn up. You've suddenly got local council that might have a tent over here. You've got Red Cross doing something. Um, suddenly there might be um, an agency you've never heard of like Bushfire Recovery Victoria and then there are some national agencies and it's a very, very confusing and an often overwhelming space. And what's really missing, I think, is that opportunity for community members to know and understand who are all of these stakeholders and, and what are they doing? How do I fit in? Where's my voice more importantly? And how can I lead this journey, this recovery journey? Because I know what I need and I know what my community needs. I'm the best place to be doing this with the support of those various organisations. So rather than those various organisations coming in over the top, like a seagull, as you said, and saying, <laughs> you know, here's what we think you need. and we'll yep. It, we'll lead it we've got the money and so forth yeah. it's really about how we empower those communities and enable those communities um, and I think the gap is as you say 
um, in that information and advice for communities and community members. Yeah, I couldn't agree. I mean, I'm a real supporter of um, shared responsibility. So the notion that came out in the 2011 National Strategy for Disaster Resilience, and I've used that ever since, and I think it's, it's fundamental. But to me, it's also about shared understanding because we need to understand the different roles and responsibilities that all multi, you know, multi stakeholders play. And then it goes to shared accountability, because I think if we, if we understand the role that we alongside others play together as part of a collective response, then we can then embrace and I guess empower, you know, those people in those um, stakeholder groups and, and educate them to be able to play the role, um, you know, in building resilience as well as in those recovery stages as well. Now, what's the most important thing for our listeners to know about community organisations when it comes to resilience and recovery? And this is like, I'm asking this question as as the core audience person. Fantastic question, Renee. Um, So I think one of the the great things about community organisations is that resilience is their core business. Community organisations have been building resilience and in fact have been using the word resilience since the 1970s. And what they do with their clients, with their consumers and with their communities more broadly is take that strengths-based approach. Look at people's lives, look at people's situations and say, what do you have to work with that can help you get over this hurdle, help you manage this stress, help you cope with this shock or this change and move forward in your life? So whether they do that with um, mental health, whether they do it with people living with a disability, whether they do it with people who may be living in poverty or living on low incomes and are really struggling, they take a very strengths-based approach. The other fantastic thing about um, community organisations is, of course, that they're deeply embedded into their communities. They know their community members well. They know what the strengths are and they know what some of those vulnerabilities might be. So if I was a disaster recovery agency, for example, one of the first things I would do would be to go and talk to those community organisations in that local area to get a really deep understanding of what that community looks like, where some of the funding could be directed, where some of those strengths could be leveraged and used to help support that overall community in its recovery. I love that because I think, uh, you know, again, we've mentioned the uh, favourite seagull a few times, but it's not just in Australia, but overseas. We've seen it with, um, you know, um, earthquake, not earthquakes, um, uh, Fiji cyclones and tornadoes, et cetera, as well, that something happens and then everyone who's an expert comes in and I guess starts to dictate and, you know, you said have the funding and they sort of pave the way. But we really need to respect and recognise and embrace the knowledge and the role in communities that community organisations play. And I love the fact that, you know, resilience is certainly not a buzzword in the space because, my goodness me, it's a buzzword in every other sector at the moment. I don't think you could, I couldn't get anyone to listen to resilience about three and a half years ago. And now I can't see anything. I think the best one I found was a, an organisation that approached me and they were having a forum because they'd been looking at resilience for three weeks and I thought wow that just summarizes the you know big threat that we have because these sorts of organizations too are those ones that are coming on you know where the funding is that go into the communities as the overnight experts that can really damage community organizations and what community needs as well so I think um, I've now got a newfound appreciation for 
community organisations having used, and I guess, you know, as you say, the term resilience has been around since the 1970s and really is just embedded into the whole ethos of their being. Now, I always um, end with the same question because I love a bit of uh, doing disasters differently. So most people want more than two, uh, but what two things would you like to be done differently in the disaster space? Anything at all. What a fantastic question. And I'll go back to your earlier comments about shared responsibility, Renee. And I think one of the additional comments I would add to that would be sharing power. So one of the things I think about the emergency management sector and about government, of course, which plays such an important role in disaster recovery, um, it is really that they need to open the doors. They really need to open the doors and actually allow community to come in and be a genuinely equal partner in that disaster recovery and disaster resilience space. Um, That's not a natural fit for government. Government tends to have fairly closed doors, tends to be fairly private, if you like. Um, But I think that, as I said earlier, when it comes to disasters, when it comes to resilience building, we are all in this together. And so we really need to create a new framework that actually opens the doors and lets everybody come in, regardless of whether you're a community organisation, a business owner, a community member, um, the Premier of Victoria, um, or whoever you may be, but for everybody to have an equal seat at the table. That would be my, my very first thing. Um, I think my second thing in terms of um, thinking about disasters and and how they could be done differently is really starting to build capacity very, very early on in communities to have communities thinking about and be prepared for shocks and stresses. We know that they're coming as a result of climate change. We've had a horrendous experience here in Victoria over the past couple of years with the bushfires, the pandemic, the floods and earthquake, you name it, the storm Mm -hmm. um, and so forth. Um, We've really been battered. And and sadly, these sorts of things are going to continue. And I think it's really important that the earlier that we as communities all think about this together, um, the better off we'll be when they do hit. I love both of those. I mean, the power one, I think is absolutely spot on. And then, you know, building capacity. And I know, you know, I sort of joked a little bit before, but I I spent, uh, you know, a good three years advocating for building greater preparedness in business communities, clearly, because that's my, our key kind of focus. And, you know, got the, well, it's not me and, oh, it's not going to happen to us. And, oh, you you know, you're dreaming about this future era that's the one in 100-year flood. But the reality is, is that compound disruptions and, you know, non, uh, you know, disasters of all types are really just the new norm and we're living differently and the world is changing clearly around us. So I personally think that whilst resilience is the buzzword, you know, if we don't start preparing and really really have that inclusive focus to enable every Australian to get prepared in their lives and their livelihoods and the communities, then we're going to be in big, big, big trouble. And um, yeah, I just hope that the new federal agency and some of the changes, I know there's changes happening in the Victorian uh, government as well, but I really hope that it's not a token kind of um, reactive approach and, you know, it doesn't just sit at the same, you know, 97% sits in recovery and I'm not saying recovery is not needed, but I think we really need to cement a uh, re-focus towards resilience and that includes preparedness and we'll all be better off for it. 
assuming we can all do it in the same way. But that's a whole other podcast about state politics relating to disasters, which, yes, let's, we might need a glass of wine if we go down that road. Exactly. A massive thank you to Bridget Tian, who's the Senior Policy Advisor at the Victorian Council of Social Services, also called VCOS, for talking to me about the role of community organisations in disasters. I can't wait till we can catch up face-to-face again, which is not too far off. Thanks so much, Bridget. Thank you so much for the opportunity, Renee. That's the end of this episode of Doing Disasters Differently, the podcast, which I hope you found to be relevant, informative and inspiring. If you're interested in participating in the conversation or to connect with me personally, please visit corporate2community.com. Until the next episode, stay safe and remember we all have a role to play in thinking differently and doing differently before, during and after disasters. Thank you.